morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're with us today. Uh, we are continuing on in our series as we head toward Easter, talking about uh, unfolding Easter. We want to talk about some things that are uh, two very important days in the lives of the uh, Israelites, the Hebrews, and uh, that were significant in, in figuring in, in the Easter story, especially how Jesus died on the cross. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement. Last week, we talked about Passover and how uh, Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples saw the connection there. Well, there's another important connection made to another high holy day on the Hebrew calendar, the Day of Atonement. I want to make sure that we see the connection to that one as well. If you want to know kind of why this is important, well, it all comes back to this, that um, you know, there are very often, it happened just a, a month or two ago again, when somebody came to see me and they had received a, uh, a bad diagnosis where they probably wouldn't have long to live. And so they come to see me and they ask this question. They said, well, I just want to come talk to you. I want to make sure that I spend some time with you because I want to make sure I've done enough to earn my way into heaven. I hope I've done enough. And so I just need to talk to you about that. And I go, good. Well, I'm glad we're talking about that. And we'll have a word of prayer. And they'll go, what do I need to know? And I go, you haven't done enough. That's the bad news. Uh, none of us can. Now, here's the good news. Jesus did do enough. And that's why we put our faith in him. He's the one who makes it possible for us to have a right relationship with God. And through Christ, we can boldly enter into the presence of God. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. Well, you're going to understand a little bit. Uh, from the observance of uh, what the Bible tells us about the Old Testament observance of the Day of Atonement and the crucifixion at Easter time. And I want to make sure we unfold this and see how they fit together because it's important for that understanding. Let me pray with us now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today and I thank you for the wonderful news that you have paid for our sins once for all time. That's what happened at the cross. And Lord, how we explain that to others is... The, well, the crucifixion account is integral to that. That's why you came. And so, God, I just pray that, um, Lord, today you'd open our minds and you'd give us peace and we'd leave here confident in our relationship with you, confident of your love for us, confident that we are saved and made right with you by your amazing grace. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Move me out of the way, Lord, and speak to us about this. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Point one on your outline simply says this, that under the old covenant, the day of atonement allowed the Israelites to be made right with God for another year. Every year on the 10th of Tishri, that was the seventh month in the Hebrew calendar, um, they were to observe a festival. It was the greatest day of the year for them because it was when their uh, sins would be atoned for, but it was also the most solemn day. They fasted the entire day and they made prayers of confession for their whole nation. And the high priest went in in the presence of God and made sacrifices and offered prayers on the behalf of the nation because holy God was needed to forgive sinful people in order to have a right relationship. Leviticus 23, uh, God is speaking to Moses about this. Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement. You must observe it as an official day for the Holy Assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. Do no work during that entire day because it's a day of atonement when offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God. This was terribly important. And so in Hebrew, it's known as Yom Kippur. Yom means day, and Kippur means atonement or to cover. 
And so their sins would be covered for another year. A couple of important observations on that. It was the one day each year the high priest could enter into God's presence on behalf of God's people. In the uh, tabernacle, which was the portable temple the Hebrews used in their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, and later in the temple that uh, Solomon built, uh, the structure was similar to this. The portable one had curtains that created a courtyard. Out in the courtyard, there was an altar where sacrifices were made. And inside the courtyard, there was a uh, uh, structure, a large tent, and the tent had two divisions, the holy place and the most holy place. And in between these two, there was a curtain that was placed, a big, thick curtain. And at the, when you walked in to the courtyard, you would uh, make sacrifice. The priest would sacrifice animals on your behalf, and then they would walk into the holy place. There would be a candle stand, a special table um, for uh, where some sacred bread was placed, an incense altar, and they would offer prayers on behalf of the people. But only once a year could the high priest go, back, go into the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Inside of here, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That's the chest, that the Ten Commandments, the actual stone tablets that um, God gave Moses were, were kept uh, with the Ten Commandments. And the Lord said, this is a sacred place. You can't just walk in here anytime you want. In fact, we'll read um, some scripture on this from Leviticus 16. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he'll die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. These are sacred garments. And so when Aaron would go into this place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and uh, again, these are... John Schmidt drawings not to scale, okay? Uh, but the ark was this sacred chest, and inside the ark, the Bible tells us they had the two stone tablets where uh, the Ten Commandments were inscribed by God himself, and there was a jar of manna that had been saved, and then there was a staff. This is supposed to be Aaron's staff that budded, which proved he was God's chosen man for high priest. Well, on top of this chest, there was a lid, uh, cover, and uh, where there were two cherubim, angels attached, and their wings came to the middle of the chest, and the Lord said, right here, over the center of the chest, that's where I'll be. You speak to me there. And when Aaron would go in, he had to sacrifice that bull we talked about, first of all, to make atonement for his own sins, because he was sinful, a sinful human being just like you and me. And so he had to go in, and then he had, uh, in a prescribed way, he had to sprinkle the blood on top of the lid, and then he would find mercy. Um, and this is what's known as the mercy seat. This is where you would find mercy on the atonement cover when the blood was sprinkled there. You could think of it this way, that the Lord is looking down from heaven on the, the covenant that was made between uh, his people and himself. He would be their God. They'd be his people. All they had to do was keep these commandments. But you know, Jesus told us it's not just keeping them outwardly, it's keeping them inwardly. And when you start doing that, oh my goodness, we all missed by a million miles. So if God looks down on his covenant and they looked around, this 
whole tabernacle was in the middle of the camp, in the middle of all of his people. When he looked around, well, he would see that this was the covenant and the people weren't keeping it. And when the blood was sprinkled on the lid, the blood covered the sin because an animal had died. There was, uh, had died in the place of sinful people. Now, it's important to note a couple of things. Because of sin, access to God was extremely limited. Hebrews 9 reminds us, only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year, and he always offered blood for his own sins, and then for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. He always had to offer uh, blood for himself, and then he would come back, and we'll find out in a minute, and sacrifice a goat, and sprinkle the goat's blood on her too, on behalf of the people. Because we kept sinning, and the wages of sin is death. But it's important to remind ourselves that the high priest could only go behind this curtain once per year. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, the access was so limited. I mean, it's kind of like if you want to go see a specialist, an internist or a really highly specialized orthopedic, you have problems, and you know they're really good because you can't see them for three months. Does, that, does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they're really good. And so you finally get an appointment. Man, you have all your questions written out. I'm only going to get 30 minutes with this guy. I'm going to ask every question I have. And I want somebody going with me to remember all the answers. Can anybody understand what I'm talking about? Well, imagine if that was the way it was with God. Hey, you got an appointment with God October 12th. Don't blow it. Hey, you can have an appointment with God February 14th. That's your one Valentine's Day. I don't know why I chose that. Anyway, but anyway, uh, you can have one appointment with God this year. And what if there was only one person who could represent all of us? That was the deal. Hmm. Secondly, it was important to note that the high priest had to come to God on God's terms. He had to come in there and first offer these sacrifices. He had to sprinkle the blood and say prayers in a very specified order. He had to wear special clothes. In fact, um, when it talked about those priestly garments, the sacred tunic and all this... It says in Exodus 28, to find a little more, Aaron will wear this robe, that sacred tunic, whenever he ministers before the Lord, and the bells will tinkle as he goes in and out of the Lord's presence in the holy place. If he wears it, he will not die. There were special instructions. There were little pomegranates to be sewn around, decorative pomegranates to be sewn around the bottom hem, and alternating with the pomegranates were little bells that were stitched to the hem of his robe so that when he walked in, you could hear him walking and the bells would tinkle and jingle as he walked along they also tied a rope around his ankle because when he went behind the curtain if he did not follow the specified order and he was not and he did not make the sacrifices in the right way then he could be struck dead so when you heard the tinkling stop and you heard a thud that was time to pull the rope because you couldn't go in and get him And that was the relationship with God. It had to be followed very specifically, once a year, one man, and that way the sins of the people could be atoned for. In fact, God had told Moses, unless you do this, I can't even go with you because you're such a sinful, rebellious bunch. And so when these sacrifices were offered and the prayers were offered, they would have incense burners and go into the holy place and they would light this incense and they would... Uh, swing these incense burners, and the whole place would be filled with sweet-smelling perfume of burning incense and the smoke of that. And it would go up, and the people would see it going up into the, uh, 
up into the sky as, the, as it came out the sides of the tent, and they would know that the prayers were going up to heaven, and the prayers were like sweet perfume. But every time the people offered the sacrifice, it just reminded them over and over again how sinful they were and how far they were from God. Would there ever be a sacrifice made once and for all? It's also important to note here that sin is deathly serious. I mean, that's why the high priest had to be so careful. Aaron's two sons, his, first, his oldest two sons, Nadab and Abihu, had not done this, and they both were struck dead in the presence of the Lord. So Aaron knew this full well. His own sons had not followed the rules, and they were struck dead. I mean, the wages of sin is death, and so that's why an animal had to die to pay the penalty. So under the old covenant, that was the day that the high priest went in. That was point A. Point B, it was the one day each year when people could be assured that their sins were forgiven and forgotten. After the blood was sprinkled on the altar, uh, I mean on the, um, on the Ark of the Covenant for himself, he would take a bull's blood, then he would walk out and there would be two goats, and let me read this to you and we'll explain this a little more, then Aaron would, is to offer the bull for his own offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and then he's to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. And so out here in front of the tabernacle, Aaron would have two goats and the whole assembly would be watching. They'd bring two goats and they would cast lots like flipping a coin. One was going to be sacrificed and the other would be brought alive before the Lord. And so... Uh, one of the goats was sacrificed on the altar, and then Herod would go in with some of that goat's blood back into the holy place and, make, and confess the sins of the people and make atonement for them. Then he'd walk out, and here's what happened with the live goat. Um, but the goat chosen as the, by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. He's to lay both his hands on the head of that live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. And then he'll send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for this task. And the goat will carry on itself all, this, all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. And this was showing people that their sins had been atoned for, and as he confessed all the sins on the head of the live goat, the live goat was carried off way off into the wilderness and lost. So it showed that the penalty was paid and their guilt was carried far away. I mean, it was a, a powerful visual demonstration of how serious sin is and also a powerful illustration that God's desire is, for, is to remember our sins no more, for the guilt to be carried far away. But here's the problem. This is the note here. The problem with that old system was the animal sacrifices never paid for sins in full. Hebrews 10 reminds us of this. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who come, came to worship. For it's not possible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. And so every year... On the 10th of Tishri, they would do this whole ceremony again, and again, and again. 
by the time of Jesus, it had been going on for 1,500 years. And the longing was, when would there ever be a day when this would be paid in full? When would there ever be a day when all of us could go into the presence of the Lord? Would there ever be such a day? And there were clues in the Old Testament and prophecies about this, but people didn't know how this would ever be fulfilled. And that's why it's so significant what Christ did for us on the cross. I mean, you understand, when they came to, to do this, it just got them right for, the, for that year. And then all the sins started stacking up again for this year. And then you had to do it again. I mean, I didn't, when we put this on the calendar, we obviously didn't pick when Easter would be this year or other things, but uh, it is significant that we're talking about the Day of Atonement, the day before tax day, tomorrow, April 15th. Um, going and taking care of the Day of Atonement is just like filling out your 1040 form. You fill it all out, send in the check, and, they go, and then your accountant will go, good, you're covered for last year. Not for this year? Oh, no, they're already withholding this year. Hallelujah. And when you turn in your taxes, you don't go, oh, good, we're finally finished. I mean, you're relieved because I don't want any problems with the IRS. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay. Well, that was kind of the way people felt here, too. And they had to follow all the prescribed structures, just like you and I have to fill out our taxes. But can you imagine if someone came up to you and they said, hey, good news. All of your taxes for the rest of your life are paid in full. Now, that would be a tax holiday that we're celebrating. I mean, we celebrate when we're buying school supplies with sale tax half off or removed. I mean, think if you never had to pay tax again. Well, now multiply that times a billion, and you understand how significant it is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that brings us to point two. Jesus established a new covenant that makes it possible for all to come to him and be made right with God forever. See, all these ceremonies, all these symbols were just a shadow, the writer of Hebrews says, because it pointed to the reality when Christ came, how significant his accomplishment was on the cross. We can understand now, oh my goodness, all sins for all time are atoned for. Point A, at the cross, Jesus was our high priest, our sacrificial goat, and the scapegoat all rolled into one. So he was able to pay for our sins in full. This is why in John 19 it says this, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Well, what was finished? This was finished. Jesus himself was our high priest, and he could walk into the presence of God, but he didn't have to make any uh, offering of sin on his own behalf. He never sinned. He also then didn't bring the blood of goats and bulls. He brought in his own blood and paid the penalty once and for all. In fact, that's what Hebrews 9 reminds us of. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, Christ entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. When Jesus said, it is finished, 
when John wrote that in the New Testament, he used a special word. It's a Greek word, and I don't usually get into word studies too much, but it's pr- pronounced tetelestai. And if we could put that up here. And that word was, uh, when it's used there, it's only used twice in the New Testament. It's both times there in uh, John 19, 28, and 30. Uh, right there where it says, when Jesus knew that everything that his mission was finished, he said, it's finished. He said, tetelestai. Now, what that means is it, that was a word that was commonly used that the people would never have missed in those days when you paid for a bill and somebody would come in and stamp it. And they would say, paid in full. No, well, that was a neat graphic. Okay, good. Anyway, yes, I love that. Okay, so it was paid in full. That's what it means. So when Jesus died on the cross, all of these sacrifices were finished. Our sins were placed on his head. He became our scapegoat. He died. He became the, the sacrifice for us. And he himself was the high priest who said, I voluntarily give up my life to pay the penalty for sinful human beings. This is why this is such a big deal. Listen to Hebrews 8. Now, Jesus, our, our high priest, is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. This covenant won't be like the one I made with their ancestors. They didn't remain faithful to my covenant, the Lord said. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this new covenant I, may, I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. I'll forgive their wickedness. And never again remember their sins. And so Jesus came to give us a brand new covenant where we have a right relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us to change us from the inside out. The sacrifice has been paid once and for all. I mean, if you read through the rest of Leviticus, it'll tell you all about the altar, all about the priestly garb, how many times the blood needs to be sprinkled, uh, with the priest's finger or with a hyssop branch and what prayers need to be said and how the incense needs to be burned and how the bread needs to be placed and how all these things need to happen over and over and over again. Yet when Jesus became that final sacrifice, it was finished. And the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus came and sat down. With all the things that are prescribed in Leviticus, there's no, one piece of furniture that's never described in the tabernacle or the temple as a chair. There were no chairs because the priests never finished. There were washing basins and altars and knives and there were all kinds of sacred objects, but there were no chairs because you never sat down. You had to keep offering sacrifices again and again and again. Yet when Jesus finished, it was paid in full. And that brings us to point B. Because of the cross, Jesus has given all who come to him unlimited access to God. Instead of one person being able to go behind the curtain once a year, now all of us can boldly enter into God's presence. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain and the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's Mark 15. So when Jesus shouted, Tetelestai paid in full, at that exact moment, the curtain was torn in two inside the temple and ripped wide open. 
And the whole idea was there that now, since everything's been paid in full, not just the high priest once a year, but anyone can come boldly into the presence of God. Listen to what um, Hebrews 10 says about this. Well, that's the life application here. We can all confidently come to God about anything, anywhere, anytime. That's why this is so significant. We can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because the blood of Jesus, by his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in him. I mean, it's so important that we understand this. When Jesus died, I just, I hope this is all right. I didn't, well, my wife will... Forgive me for tearing a towel. When, um, but when, when he uh, said on the cross, it's finished, the Bible tells us that the curtain was torn in two. This was a 30-foot high curtain. And it was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. It was ripped apart and thrown wide open so that everyone could see hey, the holy place, the most holy place, the presence of God, anyone can come here now through Jesus. That's why we took the time one more time to do one of these fold-outs with your little bulletin. If you put it together, what you see on the cover is a little picture of the holy place looking toward the curtain to the most holy place. When Jesus died on the cross, he ripped that wide open. And now we can come to him any time. You don't have to wait till October 10th. You can come to Jesus right now with any request that you ever might have. In fact, it's so important that we understand this. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, we're to give all our worries and cares to God for he cares about you. And what's great is I can come to him anytime when I have a worry or care and so can you. Can we read this out loud together, please? Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And this is what God wants, and Jesus made it possible. He tore wide open. It's finished. Paid in full. Well, how do I know I've done enough to walk into God's presence? You haven't. Jesus did enough on your behalf. It's not what you do for God. It's what Jesus did for you. And that's what we celebrate at Easter, what Jesus did for us. So the next time you're somewhere and you feel like, oh, man, I'm, I, I don't know if I should say anything. I didn't go to seminary. I, I don't know. I haven't, maybe I haven't been raised in a Christian home, but I'm a Christian now. I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know that I can pray if somebody asks me to pray. I don't know that I can speak. Well, go confidently when you pray before the Lord. When you have an opportunity to speak, say what God has put on your heart. Share with people what Jesus has done for you. Man, again, I mean, I talk with people so often. Just recently I talked to somebody and they'd lived a rough life and they said, man, Jesus saved me from all that and now I... I talk to some people, and they're going the wrong way, and I can see they're going the wrong way, but I'm hesitant to say anything because I was such a mess up myself. And I go, but don't you understand? You're exactly the right person to point out to them you were going the wrong way, and then Jesus saved you. 
And they went, oh, yeah. I go, you're the perfect person to speak up. And you can do this confidently because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And when he gives you words to say, say it. I love it when people will pray with me. Sometimes they're afraid to pray because they're praying in front of the pastor and they're afraid they might not use the right participle, okay? I tell them, come on, let's pray. I'll pray, you pray. And they go, well, you, you've been doing it longer. I go, granted. But we're both children of the king. Let's talk to our heavenly father. I'm just an older brother teaching a younger brother how to talk to dad. So we can all confidently come to God about anything, anywhere, anytime. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? amen. This is why. Because everything's been paid in full. You don't have to have a high priest go on your behalf. You can go anytime, not just once a year. But there's one other thing I want to make very important here. It is important, though, we come to God on God's terms. We don't have to walk into his presence with bells around the hem of our garments. That's not what I'm talking about. But we do need to come the way Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. We live in a day and age now when people would like to tell us that there are many pathways to God, and it doesn't matter what religious system you hold to. In every system, we're trying to do good enough things to earn our way to heaven. That's not what we're doing at all. We're saying that Jesus made the way possible. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion on earth. He paid it in full. So I just made a little chart here comparing the old covenant and the new. Under the old covenant, sins were covered. But you had to redo it every year, just like paying your taxes. Under the new covenant, the sins are removed. They've been paid in full. They're not held against us anymore. And not only does a, did a, were the sins confessed on the head of our scapegoat, the Bible tells us that God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? amen. That's possible through Jesus. Forgiveness was earned. You had to go and make uh, petitions and offer certain sacrifices a certain way. Forgiven by grace is what we find through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and freely gives forgiveness to all who come to him. There's continual sacrifices under the old covenant, and the sacrifices had to be made again and again. Under the new covenant, Jesus said it's finished. One sacrifice for all time. The blood of Jesus himself. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Under the old covenant, we fail, because we can't do right, no matter how hard we try. Under the new covenant, Christ succeeds. Under the old covenant, we have limited access. Had to approach God at a certain place, at the tabernacle, at the temple, high priest, once a year, our behalf. If you came any other time, priests needed to offer prayers on your behalf for the forgiveness of sins. Now we have unlimited access. We can boldly approach him anytime we want. Under the old covenant, it was only available to some. Now it's available to all. And that's why we're commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. Old covenant were external rules. The new covenant is a new heart. Do you guys have Philippians 2.13? I think we had that on there. Can you find that slide on here? One scripture that 
I was kind of in the middle there. I skipped over. Here it is. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. To do what pleases him. He gives us the desire and the power. That's the whole idea of a new heart. Even when their sins were atoned for, they still wouldn't choose to do what was right. Now, not only is the, are the penalty of our sins paid, and the Lord has adopted us into his family, he places the Holy Spirit inside of us, and he changes us from the inside out. He even changes our desires. Finally, under the old covenant, we had a legal standing. Under the new covenant, we have a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is what's available through Christ. And this is why we have to come through Christ. There is no other name. This was the understanding that showed people we could never earn it on our own. And the Hebrews offered the sacrifices over and over again, realizing this will never be a permanent solution. And they longed and they prayed for a permanent solution. And when Christ came, he said, I am that solution. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why when he tears, what he tears open stays open. What he pays for is paid in full. And that's why we come to him. Now look, inside your bulletin, you'll see that we have prayer meetings starting tonight. We have a prayer meeting here tonight at 6.15. We'll be having the office at 6.15 a.m. and p.m every day this week up through Good Friday. We'll have a Good Friday service, Good Friday night. It's going to be amazing. Then we have a Saturday Easter service here, and we have services at all locations on Sunday morning. We have an Easter sunrise service, and people go, why do you do all this stuff during Easter week? Because every single one of the prayer meetings will be focused on an event at Easter and, and guiding us in prayer, how we can pray and appropriate that to our own lives, how we can apply that to our own lives. The Good Friday service, the sunrise services, all those things we do, we're going to talk about Jesus, about this new deal that he offers to us. It reminds us and encourages us and helps us celebrate how wonderful it is, and it's also a perfect opportunity to bring others who are far away from the Lord. And so I'd like for us to pray today, thank God for the new covenant we have. I'd also like for us to pray and ask God if there's someone that we need to reach out to this week. To let them know the good news about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the new covenant we have through Christ. I thank you that our sins are not only covered, they're removed. I thank you, Lord, that I don't need to go through anybody else. I can approach you right now, confidently, confident that you hear me, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus was good enough, and his righteousness has been credited to my account. Would you thank God for that right now? that the righteousness of Jesus has been applied to you. God, we have prayer meetings coming up this week. We have Good Friday services, sunrise services. We have Easter worship services. And we do all this because we want to remind ourselves how great you are. We also want to throw our doors wide open for as many to hear the good news as possible. This is great news. Well, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to people who need a friend this week, people that we could bring with us, people we could share the good news with. Our sin and shame are gone. We can have a right relationship with God and bring all our cares and burdens to him. And 
Father, I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. I thank you that it's finished. The debt for my sin has been paid in full. And God, I want the whole world to know how great you are. Father, we pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.